Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The centre of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Paul and those people who are really they do extremely well with very limited resources, and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity, and I, and I like to say the East is the new West, because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good afternoon, Project Kazimierz listener, or good morning, good night, good evening, whatever time of the day or night it is you're listening. Um, today we have a very special guest, uh, Piotr Nabielet, if I pronounce your name correctly. Yes, that's true. Um, and Piotr is an expert in productivity and time management. He's written a book on time management called Effective Multitasking. We'll post a link to that in the in the show notes. And recently he was speaking at a Krakow Enterprise Mondays event that uh, I, I organize in the Technical University. Um, as well as being an expert, Piotr is in effect a small businessman because he sells his own services, both online and I believe does face-to-face training and scrum agile training in IT companies. So that's a little bit of introduction, but Piotr, could you imagine you met someone at a party and they said, what do you do? Um, and you could add to what I, correct what I've said, add to what I've said and tell, <laughs> tell people anything else about you that you think is important for them to know. Uh, so, hello, my name is Piotrek Nabilets. I, when I answer this question that you've asked, I say that I help people be more productive, so make better use of their time. Usually people are crazy about money and how, they, how can they earn more, for example, but they are not so, let's say, passionate about their time. And actually you can earn money, you can borrow money, you can multiply your own money, but you cannot multiply your time. So I help people make better use of their time and maybe produce more value out of it, having fun anyway at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. Yes, I do uh, online trainings, but I, my, let's say, primary business that was in the past was actually doing the courses for large companies and help managers prepare for their role. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, yes, my, my father, J.R. Lucas, used to teach uh, philosophy in Oxford University many years ago, and he was quite well known for setting his students a large amount of work and sometimes they would complain that uh, they didn't have time and he would always answer them that he had all the time there was and they had all the time there was and he didn't um, let's say he had interesting views on equality but it's certainly from my perspective one of the ways in which everyone is equal is the number of hours they have in the day. Um, and, and one of the things we do on this podcast is talk about the, 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 the entrepreneurial journey. Um, and maybe you could talk a bit about your career path, how you ended up deciding to 
sell your own services directly? Did you have a period in your life when you were working for other people? And did you ever imagine when you were smaller, when you were younger, that you'd end up doing what you're doing now? Uh, yeah, so my, my, let's say, professional journey started many years ago. Uh, first, I was when I was in studies, I helped people with some services like uh, helping restore their data from broken disks and stuff like that. So that was my first selling. So, but actually, but they say you had a qualify. You were studying IT. Yeah, I was studying software, so automatic control actually. And so, uh, my first regular job was uh, actually being a software developer for Motorola. And so, I was basically a software developer for many years. I was doing a Scrum Master role as well. If that's familiar to anyone. Maybe you could explain that because some of our listeners will know exactly what that is and others will yeah. think it's something to do with rugby and be a bit confused. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Scrum Master is kind of a leader in IT team. That's not a formal leader, but it's a servant leader. So I didn't have any formal power to, for example, give raise to anyone or um, make my decision was not more important than anyone on the team. But I was pushing the energy of the team forward, giving goals and, let's say, facilitating the energy of, of the meeting. So, so uh, that was it, combining kind of managing stuff plus being a software developer. And that was actually for many years. And then I was a manager in IT as well and having my own team, actually formal team now that I could give raise and anything like that. Uh, I found that the biggest passion in my job is not even a software or even products, but uh, developing people. So I started my career as a um, trainer just to try if that... And how, how, how long ago was that that you started? And that was uh, three years of being an internal trainer within a company, mm -hmm. actually. So I helped them. It was a large company. I helped them organize their knowledge. I helped them develop uh, programs for new hires and stuff like that. So basically help people gather the large amount of knowledge that's in there and put it in uh, some kind of courses or online activities. That and did, and you weren't, were you professionally prepared for that or were you just in an environment where they were ready to trust you to sort of do it from first principles? Because th these are things that quite often sit in the human resources departments or the personnel yeah. departments of big companies, but it's unusual for a, a big company not to have something like that at all. So I'm quite curious how you moved from software development into that. <laughs> so um, what I did actually was that I, I had an experience. Actually, I was training a lot while in my previous roles, even as a software developer. Uh, when I was doing the Scrum and Agile, which is like an IT methodology of managing projects, uh, I was also teaching that to others. So I, I had a lot of experience of how to share knowledge. I didn't have any formal certificate for training, but actually I had a lot of hours in a training room. So that was one thing. And basically what I did is I went to some um, IT meeting where you know many companies come and HR departments collect people's CVs. And so you can, um, I don't know, get hired in any many companies or try to find a new job. And I went there and I met maybe with five uh, recruiters and asked them, this is what I know, this is what I'm good at, this is where I want to be. How, as a recruiter, you would recommend, what would be recommended path for me to get there? And actually, one of the recruiters answered that 
actually we we are looking for a person like you because you are highly skilled in software development but also in testing and they looked for, they were looking for a person that's skilled in both areas and at the same time is good in sharing knowledge so basically they hired me and i didn't have to do anything else because they already interviewed me at the, at the time so i went for an interview and they thought i'm okay so that's how i started but let's say over two years of internal training i felt ready enough to start my own company and start my own training business mm-hmm. that's what happened so i left uh that company after two years and nine months or something like that and it's been nearly two years from now independently and uh, there's an important note, note that i'd like to draw everyone's attention to that every entrepreneur or small business leader has to figure out how to transfer knowledge and skills to people in their team that um so every entrepreneur has to be good at training sometimes people don't get this but I, i certainly didn't understand this when i started my first businesses you sort of feel that you'll figure it out and then when you figure it out you'll do it but in fact if you ever want your organization to to grow and develop you have to figure out how to make sure when people join join the team they know the company way of doing things um they your way of doing things and it isn't is essential because otherwise there's no way you can guarantee a level of quality or or um approach to the next customer that that comes along and you know it can be things as simple as how do we how do we book hotel rooms or where do we buy our coffee through to how do we prepare a sales presentation or what happens when we get a purchase order and you know the the process of training is actually vital in terms of ensuring that a company has robust processes the processes and training seem to be quite quite connected. I I don't know whether that's something you've noticed and also maybe you could reflect on what it was like in Motorola. What did you feel you learned a lot working for them or did you feel you needed to teach them a lot or was it a bit of both? So that was actually a beautiful place that I because I I learned I was learning a lot. That was, you know, a huge company with with great projects and great products. Uh, I could fly to many locations. I was in Japan and in the United States multiple times and And so that was fun to learn from people that are there on the market for 25 plus years and I don't know made the first mobile phone in the world and and so that that was exciting stuff to actually I was you know just after graduated studies and I could learn from the guys that were there for 25 years for for a brand like that. So that part was big fun for me and I could go down to the lab full of equipment and you know see all the stuff that I was dreaming Uh, on when I was let's say 10 year old kid so that was my let's say my my dream came true to actually be in touch with the top edge technology and and write software for that but at the same time the, the thing I didn't know before I started was that there's also a lot of bureaucracy and sometimes things are not fair in large companies or there is a path that you need to follow and if you if you're too fast sometimes you want to be too fast that's not a place for you so that's what happened to me actually there was a lot of paperwork not producing value i want to do many changes in the company i was i think leading projects that i was in not um so people treat me as a as a informal leader of the project 
while the formal leader of the project was someone else and let's say we finished the project and that person got, got a promotion and I didn't and even people from the team said it's completely unfair but they had to uh, let's say there were former regulations of if project went this and that this is the people that we need to promote and and so I was fighting with kind of system that helped the company grow but I was also a victim of it at the same time. So that's that's the things that I could observe. It's very uh, there's a lesson there that you know um, at, at this stage in uh, your life, Piotr, you you count as an entrepreneur. You're living by selling a service and your expertise. Um, your first steps after university were working for someone else. Uh, recently, we interviewed for this podcast uh, Matt Clifford, who established a terrific uh, organization, Entrepreneur First, which has the objective of getting the most talented people in, in, in the world to start businesses. And he very much argues that whereas when they started it was important, they felt it was important to go after graduates. They're looking for people with domain expertise who know an environment well because they can bring tremendous value to a startup because they, they understand they understand something and they know something that they wouldn't have learnt in the outside world. So so the, the lesson for listeners here is don't uh, don't rule out the benefits of going into a big company because you can you can learn a lot amongst other things what big companies need and how to how to sell to them. But uh, what uh, when you um when you were finishing your studies that's always a time in life when people have a a big dilemma as to what to do. Can you just talk, go back to the how you went through the process of deciding to work for Motorola or applying to work for them? Were you applying for lots of different jobs, or did you did someone someone there tell you you have to come here? How did that work? Mm, so when early during my studies, uh, people so I was doing electronics and software development for many years, even before I started my studies. That was my let's say passion as a young boy. So I was doing software development when I was, I don't know, 10, 12 years old kid, writing in BASIC, in Assembler, and then in Pascal and C and whatever was there, and then Java. And so when I, and I had a big passion for hardware as well and for software, and one of my friends who was living in Krakow told me, uh, man, you have to get to know people from Motorola because I have a friend who's working there and he does things that I think he would be passionate about. And so when they were organizing this, um, so in Poland, in order to pass your studies, you have to do like a two-month... Uh, Practical, in internship, in fact. Yes, internship. And so I said, why not? And I applied for the internship in Motorola just to try it. And that was probably seventh semester out of 10 that I had on the university. And so when I finished that, I went back to the university, to Gliwice, my hometown, and I finished the eighth semester, and during the ninth semester, I got a call from Motorola saying, actually, there's a person that we need that's exactly like you. You're tested, let's say you fit the company culture. And so they called me back if I want the job. And so I, I went straight to talk about um, when I'm free, how much I would need, I would like to get, and, and let's say technical aspects, because let's say the the, the interview was for two months of internship. So that was no brainer. Uh, it was well paid, let's say dream job at that time. And so I've never sent any more CVs at that level at that point of time. So 
It's an interesting, interesting story that uh, entrepreneur first, who I already mentioned, uh, actively headhunt people. They have a network among the best universities, and they will call up people directly and say, "Have you ever considered starting a business? We will pay you. Come to our programs in London or in Singapore." And Bill, I think Microsoft still had uh, had as many as is either one thousand or ten thousand employees when. At that stage, Bill Gates was still actively involved in recruitment when Microsoft was quite a well-known company, and his HR department knew that he would be ready to make a phone call if there was someone they particularly wanted. And the point is that if you have an organisation that's going to be successful, you need to figure out how to get the people you really need, and being ready to call people up and not being not being arrogant and thinking to yourself, well, if we're so great, they're going to apply to us. That's not the sign of a great organisation. The great organisation gets out there and hustles for the best people. On the other hand, even if you're a very small organisation, a great way to recruit people is through internships. And you can say, that, you know, we may not be, we may not be Motorola or you know some famous brand, Pezadu or the. BBC or whatever, but you know, if you work for if you work for me, if for, I will I will teach you everything. I will give you as much responsibility as you can handle. And if the internship goes well, and the com- and we're doing well, it's highly likely this internship will lead to a job. So a lesson for entrepreneurs is to think about internships as a part of your recruitment. In a way, it's like a two-month job interview. In in, in <laughs> fact, and um, so that's important. Um, moving on to this. Uh, Time management. When did you first become aware of time management as a sort of skill set or as a thing that people write books about or, or talk about? Because I'll, I'll share my story, but I'm curious how other people come come across how you came across it. So, I, while reflecting back on that, it seems trivial, but I, I was not aware at that moment that it's happening. Actually, I was studying one semester abroad in Denmark. And so we had a completely different structure of subjects. And because they somehow had to match our own system in Poland in order for me not to lose the whole semester, I had to choose the subjects that were some kind of matching what I had in Poland. And so I had some automatic control fields and stuff like that. But there was one course on project management and it sounded okay. So I signed up for the project management course and while reading books and on that subject and completing the project for uh, for that studies in Denmark, I realized that I had much bigger passion for that than anyone else in the room. And so these things keep, kept me excited and wanted to read more. And actually, I found out that while discussing with people that I like to organize, basically, and I... I st- that was the point that I started looking at how people organize and how much they get, let's say, how much value they get out of the time they invest. And I found that some people seem extremely busy, but if you think about value they produce, it's not that much. And sometimes you meet a person that's pretty much relaxed, have time for everything, and if you think about value they produce, it's big. So that uh, that was the time, say nearly 15 years ago, that I started looking at people at, at, at what it is that makes some people more effective than others. And while I was at Motorola and then many other companies and people, this was the topic that I that was interesting to me. And so I met with people, I asked them, and when I see an organized person or disorganized person that is effective, I usually talk with them, what made them so, or what do they use? Is it the tools, is it habits, or what it is? 
Mm-hmm. We'll come on to what your conclusions were, but you, you talked to people. Were there any books? We'll obviously post them in the show notes or are there any books or websites or gurus or famous experts? I, I have some in mind, but I, I'd be interested to know if you confirm it's the same people, whether people who, like you, you, look, you read their books and you thought this guy has, or this, <laughs> this woman has really nailed it. So there are, there are a few positions. The, the first is that, all, of course, comes to my mind is getting things done by David Allen. Mm-hmm. I find this book inspiring, but completely not practical. Mm-hmm. So 90% of the people are inspired by the book, but fail to actually make the habits that David proposes. But it's like a must-to-read position. And if you sometimes you may hear people talking about GTD, which is getting things done. And if you haven't come across the book, it's quite confusing. And uh, please, listeners, never use jargon until you've checked your the person you're speaking with knows, you know, knows your jargon but that was a huge bestseller for sure yeah so uh, that's it I think all the positions by Stephen Covey like seven habits of highly effective people that's but that's also high level but when it comes to details the, the book that I would recommend to everyone is um, as David Rock wrote a book called Your Brain at Work which was probably the most the, the best book on the productivity I've read it's, it's also because telling you how your brain functions and and it's also a scientific approach to forming habits or telling you why do you specific things in specific situations so it's not about try hard <laughs> it's about understanding the mechanism that behind many things so that would be uh, it and and there are multiple books on let's say more high level like um uh, from Good to Great by Jim Collins, uh, and I think that's it. Maybe, maybe also I was inspired by this lean startup methodology. But when it comes to personal productivity, I think my top three would be Stephen Covey and getting things done. But uh, your brain at work. Mm-hmm. Yes, my, my, my um, uh, I, I was very struck after I started my first business, and this was in the mid. 1990s in Poland, the business was starting to succeed and the number of things that I as the founder and leader had to deal with was growing and growing and I I, I became extremely stressed and was very much disconcerted because I thought that if you became more successful things became easier and it wasn't huge success nothing 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 to get into the newspapers but you know we had customers who were taking on more people and I realised that I I had I, I I wasn't managing, and you know if you're the managing director, what you're meant to do is to manage, and it's part of the language. People say I can't manage. They mean they're not coping. That means, in fact, what they're not managing is they're not managing their time. They're not managing themselves. And I came across a book by a man called um, Haram Smith, and it was called the um, the Ten something like the Secrets of Time and Life Management, or the Guide for Time and Life Management, and he made very it made perfect sense to me he also set up a training company called franklin quest which merged with um stephen cover's training company later um and he made the point that your life is made up of your life is measured in terms of time and so if you can't manage your time you can't manage your life and if you can't manage your life you are going to be unhappy and stressed and it came back to very simple ideas which were uh, throughout this uh, throughout this whole area is um, to do with the idea of figuring out your priorities and then organizing yourself in the context of your priorities 
But but the thing that really struck me was how I had had no prior training in this or teaching about this whatsoever throughout my schooling. And I went to good private schools in in Britain and uh, one of the top universities. And I, I was stunned by first the reflection I had no training on or teaching about time management and also nothing about organizational skills, which are probably the two things that every organization needs more than anything else. And I, I don't know, did you, did you ever have similar insights that it's surprising how little this is taught? Yes, that's, that's actually how I started my, my company. That was when, when I came to realize that, you know, many managers become managers without even having a, a single course on how to manage them themselves, not even counting that, let's say, they have now eight people to lead. And so how, how little they know how uh, so so for me the, uh, the the biggest let's say momentum was created when I realized how much knowledge that that's working is there and how little people know about it so I don't know if there's um I don't quite know how much knowledge of what is where sorry you said how much knowledge is there about how to manage your uh, okay, life or okay. your time or what you should avoid so let's say you have this pop-up window in Outlook or any other software that tells you that there's a new email coming. And if you study even basics, you know that's only um, giving you distractions. And distractions may be less, may, uh, are, make you less effective, make you more nervous, and then you have a uh, bigger, bigger problem with focus. And so Actually, people don't disable that window because they think it's really helping them be more productive or actually doing the opposite. And so there's very little education that some very simple uh, changes in how people operate can make such a big difference. And so, so that was how much we know already and scientifically, which was proven that, I don't know, people cannot multitask, for example. And this is what people try over and over again to do. And, and so... That was always surprising to me. Why don't we actually share the knowledge that is there and use it when it's there? It's like, I don't know, having a, a cure for, um, I don't know, AIDS or anything like that. And let's say 90% of population didn't know it existed. It would be, it would be strange. Yes, and, you know, it's, I, th- I think that um, quite often... People make assumptions. I remember my my American business partner, Kimon Fontakidis, who I also in- interviewed uh, for this podcast a while back. Um, I remember when we first did our deal, and uh, for me to get involved in his business, I had to pay him a certain amount of money at particular dates. And I just remember, um, you know, out of the blue, the phone rang at one minute past nine in the morning, and he said, "You owe me X." <laughs> and it was on my to-do list. I was aware of the fact that I had to pay him, but you know, I was really impressed by how well organised he seemed. And all it was was that he had put it in his diary. And then I remember in another in another context, um, you know, we were talking at some management meeting, and he was saying, "This is important. Put it in your diary." And you know, again, it's like you know, the, 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 there are just simple habits. But if someone's never been taught that, you know, do they know that that's a 
that's a key skill that if it's important, it has to go. And you know, maybe the DAR is not the place. Someone might have a different tool. But the, if there isn't a place to register, register the things that are important, then people are liable to forget about them. And you're, it's yeah. much less stressful if you know there's a place where the important things get, get, written, get written down. Um, do, do you think all these – do you think the tools – obviously, everyone's aware of the fact – I um, imagine many of our listeners are aware of tools like you know, electronic cal- calendars, synchronous with their mobile phones and um, various different productivity tools. But do you think these tools are necessary for someone to be well organized or can they be well organized without having this plethora of electronics? Yeah, yeah without electronics, definitely, yes. Mm-hmm. I know people that are still in love with paper and I'm kind of one of such person. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yes, you can live without electronics for sure. The, uh, the minimum set for me is having a calendar, which means something that's fixed in time. For example, we have this podcast at specific point of time and I would put that in my calendar. What electronics help me is to make a beep to remind me that it's time to come in here to have the recording. Yes, so, I, I was going to say that uh, for me, the hour, the reminder an hour before I'm due to do something is a pop-up that I want to happen because <laughs> yeah. if I've forgotten, that's much more stressful <laughs> than if Yeah, I, but it's, you know, p- people sorted it out even before uh, having electronic devices, so mm. you may do that, but the calendar is like one idea, things that are fixed in time, and then you have to have some kind of task list that's uh, divided into projects that you're running just to be able to very quickly and intuitively answer a question what is the thing that I can do next which brings the biggest value and I believe that's a separate um, let's say entity and then you have to have a trusted place for taking notes like for example you mentioned a book right you you will write it in the sh- in the notes for the podcast mm-hmm. but then uh, if let's say it's a normal discussion, I will forget about the book in 15 minutes. So I have to have a place where I put my notes and then do something with them mm-hmm. because I may read that book next month. Mm-hmm. And so whatever is your personal style, whatever is your preferences, I don't care. But we have to have these three entities, I believe, which is a calendar, things fixed in time task list which sorted by value mm-hmm. and then taking notes yes i mean this, this I, I obviously it could be quite frustrating for someone who's listening to this podcast if they <laughs> want to know everything about time management and they realize this isn't a podcast <laughs> focused on this so you've had a few things but you know the as i often say you know it's very easy to find out about this by uh, by going to google but at the moment piot has a a productivity course available in Polish, which any Polish listeners can sign up and we'll put a link in the show notes. He's also written a book available in English and possibly as of sometime in the first quarter of next year there may be courses available in, in, in English, but that hasn't yet hasn't yet happened. But I've got a question about character and personality because, again, coming back to uh, a business partner of mine, I remember someone saying oh, please, could you send me an email to remind me? And he snapped at them and said, don't be so lazy, or don't, why should I have the task of reminding you? That's just extra work. Mm-hmm. You're, you're an adult. You're capable of doing that yourself. And sometimes there's a kind of hierarchy thing that if someone's important they or has a high, higher status in the organization, they push 
tasks onto other people, which actually is very is both inefficient because it creates two pieces of work for someone else to write it down and for them to read it, and it sets a terrible example because it shows they're ready to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. And you know, for me, uh, you know, and someone as people become powerful and uh, wealthy, they they're lazy. It's possible for them to become lazy because they won't be punished or they can afford the they can afford the lack of productivity or their status is such that they won't be criticized and i'm very curious and, and so the conclusion for people listening is that if you aspire to be a successful effective person you have to apply your energy to self-discipline and i'm wondering whether you agree with that that's my, my perspective that sometimes you need to push yourself a bit if you're going to have the ambition to be productive uh is that is something some you agree with, or are there some people who are like totally relaxed and they don't need that sense of self discipline? Or do you understand what I, where I'm? Where I'm yeah, coming I think, from? but you know, I have mixed feeling about what you've said. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the on one hand, I'm a big fan of lazy people. <laughs> Why? Because lazy people will find a uh, a way to get something done with the least energy. Yes, the de- which is actually the, the definition of productivity. Yeah, the definition <laughs> or efficiency like you can say what's what's the the most efficient way to to, to, do, to do a bank transfer is an online bank transfer that's a repeat transfer that involves no human effort and For example. Uh, uh, and uh, inefficient way is to do it the old Polish way go to the bank fill in a form by hand and uh, I've got another example I'll come back to but uh, absolutely the least amount of resources to get something done including your effort is is more efficient than the most uh, on the one hand yeah, so I, I'm, you know, I would encourage people to be lazy sometimes because that's the, um, that's, there are these are the ways to find how you can optimize the thing you're doing, uh, because you will never have all the perfect days. You will have bad days as well, and then we have to have a strategy for that days as well. That, for example, you are at twenty percent of your normal capacity. When uh, what to do then? So, so yes, but then. Uh, I think there's a there's a matter of character. So, if you do small things today, that don't seem to produce any value immediately, but produce value, uh, let's say in a month, it's like exercising. When you exercise once or twice, you don't see the results immediately. So, that you see results, let's say six months after or a year after. I think that's what we need: uh, is to push the um, the positive effect maybe more towards future because usually what creates big effect immediately have a negative effect in the future like if you want to feel relaxed what you can do is i don't know drink three beers <laughs> it bring results immediately but the long-term effect is not very positive usually if you repeat it over and over again and so i think there's the, the second part of it let's say the opposite to laziness is to build that kind of sustainability that even if you don't see the immediate result, you still do it because it forms your habits and natural way of thinking. So even in a bad day, these habits still work like driving or you don't come up in the morning and asking yourself, should I really flush the toilet? Do I, I'm, I'm, am I really motivated to do that? You just do this without even thinking. And Yes, so, so it's, I, mean, I certainly think, I mean, I, as I understand it, it's part of part of your course. But the idea that habit formation, 
so you don't have to think about things that become automatic is uh, is important and you know yes. I'm, I'm i'm not a perfect example of productivity <laughs> management i do have a to-do list but i'm bad at prioritizing it but my habit is always to at least put it on my to-do list <laughs> which means that i've got a point of reference which means yeah. that i don't i don't forget things so but if if i forget to put something on my to-do list then then it remind then i feel i've i've not lived up to my own to my own standards and but i, I think the issue of character and values and what you aspire to, what what an individual aspires to is important because that guides their priorities and if they they want to be productive and get more done with their life then they will prioritize and there's a a fascinating book called emotional intelligence by daniel goleman where he talks about the marshmallow experiment where they put a group of four-year-old children in a classroom and put a marshmallow suite so a, a suite in front of each of them and the children are told that if they the marshmallow is still there when the teacher returns to the room they'll get an extra one so they're being rewarded for self-control and it turned out with on a longitudinal study that the children who were able to resist the temptation to eat the marshmallow were far more successful in their lives long term like 14 or 15 years later that that self-discipline was a key feature to them achieving academic success which which you know which doesn't mean that anyone listening to this who doesn't have very much self-control should despair, but perhaps they, perhaps they should be aware of it. Yeah, and then uh, if I can recommend one more thing, uh, as yesterday I was listening to a podcast by Tim Ferriss, who wrote a book called Four Hour Workweek, and um, Tim was interviewing uh, uh, Mrs. Sharapova, who is a tennis, really famous tennis player, and not not only because she has, has businesses. And so this is the topic that she was saying a lot about is that early in the childhood, uh, her parents helped her to form like a long-term habits of uh, of her, let's say not even self-control, but getting used to uh, doing some things with no using any decisions. It was just there and she had to do that and she liked doing that. So, and it brought really long-term effects. So that's that's another inspiring story of her. Yeah. And there's another another insight, which is, I mean, the 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 idea, the Goldman idea of knowing your own character, um, ties into Gary Vaynerchuk's idea of self-awareness. That if you if you don't understand yourself, then it's going to be hard to understand your priorities because people have a mixture of their psychology and upbringing and natural character. Um, but another thing is to think in terms of automation that if you find yourself doing things more than once then it's worth reflecting not just on whether you're doing it and whether it's a priority but the way you do it because anything that's a repeated activity might be something to be to be automated and it could be um, and there are so there are so many different examples I don't know I don't know where to start but do you does your training also encompass that kind of or when you're encouraging people to think about how to be pro more productive, do you get them to look at their processes and how they get things done, not just what they do, but how they do them? I don't think that's my, that that's so much focus about, I don't know, optimization. I think that the key habit for me is getting to know what I, what I want to do, sorted by value, and then cut out distractions, but also reflect. And I think this, what you're mentioning, is embedded in the reflection. Because 
sometimes I'm doing things repeatedly and I want it <laughs> uh, because I like doing that. For example, there's a, I don't know, weekly review process that I'm, for example, I'm sitting down every week for about an hour. I get a glass of wine or a tea and I look back at the week. What did I, what did I accomplish during that week? Who I met with? Um, what was important to me that I reflect back on the week? And it takes, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe just to remind myself what happened, what did I do and stuff like that. And then I think, you know, how do I feel after that week? What was the most important thing that, I don't know, touched me emotionally? Is my life going where I want to be? And so that's the habit when I sometimes think, no, I'm doing that the fourth time and I, I think it's time to delegate it or automate it or whatever. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there are things that I do over and over again, like, for example, checking analytics or reading some specific emails that I actually like doing. And so I could automate or delegate part of it, but I'm still like doing that. Mm. I don't know if that answered that question. But. Well, it's, it's very interesting. It actually feeds into something that's relevant to the listeners of this podcast, that uh, yesterday we had a handover meeting and Sam Cook, with whom I co-founded it, is handing formally responsibility for the podcast over to me, uh, lock, stock and barrel. And one of the things I want to do is to integrate my blog content creation on richardlucas.com more with the content of the podcast and um, what you've just said has reminded me very much of the the importance of or, or not the importance in the connection with my approach to TEDx talks that uh, just this morning I was asked by a comedian again who I, <laughs> who I interviewed Stuart Goldsmith asked me for some feedback about a training product that he's got to using his podcast material for teaching uh, corporate executives how to train people and I was saying that not so much in his podcast but the three questions of you know why do I care about my idea why should the other person care about their idea and what do you want them to do about it are three vital questions to ask about any powerful communication and I was wondering in your reflection process uh, whether you have the question which I think is a, a good question to ask which is what was it what was in it for me and what was the benefit to other people because different people have different value systems but if people are very introverted and they, they focus entirely on the benefits to them that's possibly in the short term may work well for them but if they want to be happy longer term even their enlightened self-interest maybe to think about the value to other people and not for themselves. <laughs> Yeah, so this is one of the habits that I that I formed is actually asking myself four questions. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and uh, so the first question is passion. Mm -hmm. Does it touch me emotionally? Anyhow, uh, is it and is it any drive in it when I do that? So that's one thing. Do I like doing that? Second thing is talent. Do I have any talent for doing that? I can have zero talent and great passion. And some people called it a hobby mm -hmm. <laughs> a few years back. Now we don't have hobbies. Because or maybe delusional. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for that anymore. But so that's talent. Can I be the best in Krakow, in Poland, in the world in doing that? And then there's a third question about value. Can it bring value to other people's lives? So I can have great passion and great talent for something that produces zero value for other people. So the question number three, how can I bring more value to people's lives with my talent and passion? And then the fourth question would be about consciences. Like if you stand in a mirror in the morning and can you answer the question, was I born to do that? Because, for example, as a software developer, I had a great passion for software development. 
people said I had a talent in compared to others. There was a value in it. Company was paying for this, and I could see our customers happy. But if I woke up in the morning and say, "Was I was born to write a software for solar base stations?" It's like no. <laughs> so this is these are the four questions that I try to answer unconsciously very quickly. I, I thought you were going to answer. That's a very very good list, and I'd encourage people listening to 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 reflect on that. Um, when you said conscience, I, I thought you were talking about a moral dimension of whether the way you're the way you're living or planning to live is something <laughs> that you can defend in, uh, against your value systems. Yes. And it's something I've often said in, in uh, entrepreneurship workshops that when you choose to go into business people with people, you have to be sure that you're aligned with their values, which doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a, a Christian or a Muslim or a humanist, but are you going to be proud or ashamed of the way you're making your money? And if you look back at your life, and, and you know you can see the, the, the victim, whether you've been doing high, in, high interest credits to poor people or persuading persuading people to gamble money they can't afford through online online uh, free-to-play games you know if you're very wealthy on the yacht in the Caribbean but you know there are tens of thousands of very poor people who you've made your money off are you going to feel proud of yourself and you know maybe you don't care but if you don't care at least you should be aware of it <laughs> yes true <laughs> okay um, I'm just saying uh, maybe at the um, at the Krakow Enterprise Monday's uh, event you spoke at you um, answered the question to that audience of you know what the simplest thing someone can do if they want to start improving their productivity right away and uh, I thought I thought you answered it very well and I I'm, I'm wondering now if you're going to give the same answer <laughs> the same <laughs> answer, the same answer but, but um, if, uh, if someone says okay great you did what what can I do to start getting more productive basically on a daily or weekly basis and I just, I just want to improve my productivity I don't have time to go on your course because I'm too busy I'm too busy to do a productivity course people will tell you um, what, what what advice can you give them in a conversation in, in five minutes and will you tell me if that's the same answer that of course I, I've got, I've, I will tell the listeners what I remembered but you know communication is always two-sided and my memory is fairly haywire so all right so if I were to start of course first is the realization that we are uh, that we have habits so in order to do anything or any change, let's start by thinking about how to make it a habit. But how to start, uh, be more productive, I think I would make a list of all things I want to do and sort it by, uh, um, by value. So it means answering two questions. What's the benefit of me doing that? And what would be the lost? Uh, what do I lose if I will not do this? And so that will help me prioritize the list and then the, the basic thing is start doing things that produce most value, not even sometimes looking at the deadline, because sometimes deadlines are pushing us to do things that have actually very little value or no value, or if I don't do it, the, the effect is not that much negative. I think I would start with this, uh, so like make the list of all the things that you have to do in the context and sort it by value, not by deadlines. Is it any how similar to what I've said? Um, similar. I, I think what you said, the first thing you'd think about is, you know, what are the most important things to do today? Without, I think you gave it more detail now, but, but then, then you think the next question is, uh, 
think about that, then think what are the most important things to do this week, uh, and then what are the most important things to do this year. And I think you made quite a funny joke, like if you can't figure out how to organise your time after you've thought about those questions, you have a problem. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that's but, true. But, but the, the way the Franklin Quest, uh, sorry, the Hiram Smith uh, the Ten Laws of Life and Time Management was it was exactly the other way around. It started thinking about your most long-term plans, and then so you start with a yearly plan or a five-year plan, then you do a yearly plan, then a weekly plan, and a daily plan, reviewing your long-term. And it was probably a bit too much for some people, but the idea, but, but the the point that comes up again and again is the conflict between urgent and important. That very often the things that are most urgent, the pop-up, the Facebook notification, are definitely not the most important and everyone knows that they want to uh, not everyone a lot of people say you know my 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 wife my girlfriend my boyfriend my mum my dad you know my, my immediate family are important but they're quite often not nearly as urgent as as the latest the latest bit of gossip on on twitter so figuring out that you know if it's an important priority you need to reserve some time for it and knowing what to do in that time uh, are, are key things. Um, so, so one more comment on on the, the priorities is that um, so actually Franklin Covey and there's an XQ survey that you may link uh, people to is that they, they ask the question are people systematically planning implementation of priority goals? Mm -hmm. And so how many people responded yes giving a let's say real piece of evidence that it's really happening, it's 8%. And that means that 92% of people don't do it systematically or do not plan, or it's these are goals but not priority goals. And so these are these questions like most, what's the, the most important because you will have 20 important things, but the most important thing for today can be only three, for example. Mm -hmm. And so what, what really strikes me is that many managers that I ask a question, what are the three most important things that I want to achieve in the next three months? Most of them cannot answer such a simple question. They can give me KPIs and stuff like that. But if I ask them, okay, three most important things for the next three months for your team, and then how the team can be effective if a manager cannot answer such a simple question. And so we're struggling with managing even such a simple answer. Yes, there's a great uh, podcast and website called Manager Tools, again, which I'll link to. And the people who uh, founded that podcast, uh, their name escapes me, but it will come back to me in a moment. Um, Ex-army guys, ex-military guys, but they say that every every manager should be accountable for just two priorities, which is to get whatever result is communicated to them and to keep their team together, to keep, keep and develop their team and... Um, very often people don't know, they don't have that clearly communicated and they're working on hundreds of things. Um, very important additional tip is to build some kind of feedback process into whatever you're doing so that it's not just whether you think it's been done, but whether the people who are involved in your action or activity also think that it's been done in a way, in the same way that you do. And a classic is sending them an email. Very often people feel they've achieved something when they've sent an email. Usually the email in itself is not valuable. It's, it's aiming at achieving an outcome. And um, very often 
in organisations, it's better to pick up the phone and talk to people uh, or even for a couple of minutes and send an email, which may not even be read. And you think you've done it because you sent an email, but we all know about email. So, so build that feedback process in. Very often it's quicker and more efficient to talk to people than email them, although you feel much better when you hit the send button because you, you feel you've done it now. And you, you, in a way, you may have somehow discharged a responsibility in a way that if someone scrutinizes you, you can say, yes, I sent the email, but it doesn't actually achieve the outcome that's needed. So so, so that that's extremely important. And that word you mentioned, the impl- implementation, that you know, I'm much more of an ideas person than an implementation person. That bit of self-awareness means that <laughs> I always have to think really hard about how am I going to make sure this idea actually happens rather than simply rather than simply doing it. Okay, so I think what, um, I don't know if you've got any comments on that. Do you do, do you do you think that implementation is as much of an issue as I do? Uh, so I look at exa- again. I'm the structure guy, so I look at the various levels. The the first level is to how get stuff done on a basic level, like, for example, record this podcast and then, I don't know, publish it. So that's, it's kind of task that you just have to do. Then the, uh, the level up is that uh, you think it more generally, like, why are you recording this podcast? What is the outcome that you actually want to achieve? And then what's the biggest strategy um, uh, behind this? Like, is a podcast a part of something bigger that I don't know where you want to be in the next five years? that you, for example, focus on podcast and video producing and not 100 other things. And so this is the way I'm, I'm, I'm looking at. Uh, I don't know if that's the answer. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. But even if you are very uh, efficient with implementation, and so, for example, you're running faster and faster and faster and faster, but this is not the right direction. So, for example, you can very effectively record 200 podcasts in 200 days. The question is, is it strategically a good decision? So I'm a fan of implementation, but I'm, I think it's just one piece of the puzzle. It's just one puzzle. And if you miss the others, you will be just running fast. Yes, I can't, I can't remember the, the author, but there's a famous theory of the, the five whys. And like the question of why you do what you do is absolutely fundamental. And obviously, it doesn't matter how efficiently you implement something. If it's not worth doing, it's not worth doing. And um, there's an old British saying, uh, proverb, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing well. That's just a saying, but the corollary of that, excuse my English, um, is that if a thing's not worth doing, it's not worth doing at all. That, you know, if you can just say no to things and make sure that the things you focus on are actually important. And sometimes the most obvious questions are the ones that you miss. So encourage both question yourself and encourage other people to question you and encourage people to give you critical yeah. feedback is very important because if unless you encourage it, people quite often think it's mean to give critical feedback. But a few days ago, my son Daniel asked me whether I enjoy organising events. And <laughs> I was running around getting ready to uh, go off to Warsaw for an event I was organising. I spent a lot of time organising events and it was a while since anyone's asked me whether I enjoy it. <laughs> it was a good question and I had to think for a moment and I do know why I do it and and sometimes you get in a habit of doing something that's not productive and you have to question question your habits as well. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. agree. Okay, well, I think that, uh, we're moving towards the end of this podcast. Um, as usual, uh, I'd like to end by thanking Piotr for the time. Uh, if, uh, if people want to be in touch with you or want further information, what should they do? 
so my website is productivny.pl. That's basically the the hub for information. So we can find a blog and information about the courses I do. So that's one thing. I made a course, online course that Richard mentioned, uh, which in Polish will be productivnostkrokpokroku.pl, which is like productivity step by step. And also I have a profile on LinkedIn. You can find me, just keep in touch. And if you find productivny.pl, there's my email address as well. So I think that's two main websites to, to visit that you can find more information. But yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter as well, at, at pproductivity. Great. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you, uh, <laughs> for inviting uh, me. And uh, again, we welcome feedback, suggestions for other, for other speakers and um, look forward to meeting you again at the next episode. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir, brought to you by me, your host, Richard Lucas. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectkashmir.com or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectkashmir.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but about new individuals, it's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other. But the reality is that you want to have as many as possible, because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here, and in this connected world, we don't need everyone here. But, but the, the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need so if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you're looking for a place where your, your your creative juices will run then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself and I think you can make history in Poland I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now not just from a you know going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate be a much bigger part of that community and and making it wealthy not just for wealth's sake but for uh, a purpose which is to make that country's government stronger 